Welcome to Human with Resources, the human side of innovation. I'm your host, Doug Sandler. If you're looking to foster, manage, measure, and celebrate innovation, you've come to the right place. Let's get started right now. Welcome to Human with Resources. So before we get started, I want to share a little bit about Unusual. Unusual is building a corporate innovation school to help people and organizations become extraordinary. Unusual is also growing a professional community of innovative leaders. Unusual is serving organizations to go from conventional to exceptional, coaching people to innovate. Unusual is in the market because innovation is difficult and we want people to have a creative and engaging job. At Unusual, we are training people to stop reacting and start creating. For more information, check out Unusual.net as a professional community of innovative leaders and Unusual.com for the rest of our corporate services. Now on to our guest. Stephen Shapiro started his innovation work over 20 years ago while leading a 20,000-person practice at a consulting firm, Accenture. Since then, he has written five books, including Best Practices Are Stupid, love the title, which was named the Best Innovation and Creativity Book of the Year, and his sixth book will be published in early 2020. Stephen has presented at conferences in 50 countries, and in 2015, he was inducted into the Speaker Hall of Fame. I'm proud to call him my friend. Welcome, Stephen, to Human with Resources. Hey there, Doug. Good to be here. I'm happy to have you here, Stephen. How did you even get into the innovation space to begin with? So I started off life early on in my life as a nerd. I was an engineer uh, pretty much throughout all of my uh, education. And uh, and so when I went into the corporate world, one of the things which I did was I helped companies engineer. We call it the business process re-engineering, which was based about how do we optimize businesses. Uh, so the goal was to make companies more efficient. And unfortunately, one of the things which I discovered was when you help a company optimize their processes, Ultimately, they're going to downsize their employees. And I woke up and just realized I don't like being in an environment where my work is responsible for people losing jobs. So I wanted to help create jobs. Innovation wasn't a popular topic 25 years ago, uh, but it was something which I latched onto and I've been focused on that pretty much ever since. You know, it's, it's interesting. Oftentimes, innovation can mean to really conservative organizations, it could mean change. And as we know, conservative organizations don't often like change. But that's, that would be how I would define it. But you're the expert in the field. How would you define innovation? Well, I, I take a simple approach towards innovation. I define it as relevance. The, or at least the goal of innovation is relevance. Because Ultimately, what you want to do is it's not about change for change's sake. It's not about innovation for innovation's sake. It is about creating products, services, and business models that allow you to stay relevant in the minds of your customers in the market. So that's the only thing that matters is do people value you in a way that they'll work with you, that they will pay you, and that they will choose you over someone else. So based upon the industries that are out there and the ones that you work with and the ones that you've seen, are there specific industries that might be more ripe for innovation? I think every industry is ripe for innovation for different reasons. So if you look at, for example, financial services, you know, they're ripe for innovation only because of the, the threat and the opportunity of blockchain. Uh, obviously, artificial intelligence and machine learning are impacting a lot of more routine types of activities, whether it's uh, accounting or any kinds of repeatable processes, uh, and even in delivery services, 3D printing. So it, every industry is being impacted by disruption. Every uh, industry is being impacted by changing expectations of the market and the customers. Just the, the needs are different 
from industry to industry. So I think they're all ripe. They're just ripe for different reasons. As someone that has a, a, a tendency and, a, and a, an opportunity to work with many different leaders that are out there, how can an organization foster or even teach innovation within their organization? I think it's important to make sure that people understand what innovation is and how to innovate. I think one of the big mistakes that leaders make is they just say, go innovate, and then people are left having no idea what that means. Or what a lot of leaders will do is they will confuse innovation with ideas. And the reality is most companies don't need more ideas. They don't need more opinions. They don't need more suggestions. They have thousands. Uh, what they really need are solutions to important problems. And so to me, the key of being a good leader is to basically ask better questions of your organization and ask your question, your, ask your organization to ask better questions. To me, it is the questions that we ask that will ultimately give us the results that we get as an organization. It's interesting. As someone that, that guides leaders, there seems to be some level of methodology that you would use to encourage people to create these new ideas or not the new ideas, but actually the problem solving methodologies that, that you want to hope that would be place, you know, put into an organization. Is there any specific methodology that you would, that would, you would use to help people create uh, a new uh, and creative thinking or creative problem solving, as you would say? Sure. I, I think the, the, I'll give you two pieces. One is, first of all, you have to take an outside in approach. So I think one of the mistakes that a lot of organizations make is they look internally for what needs to change rather than looking externally. So you could call it design thinking if you want. You could call it, you know, customer-centered innovation. There's a thousand different words that basically have similar meanings. But what you need to do is get out there and understand the true latent needs of the market and satisfy those needs in a very powerful way. The second part, and this is really where I spend a lot of my time, is on the framing of the question. Most people don't appreciate that when you change a question, you unleash a different range of potential opportunities. And we tend to jump to solutions. We tend to jump to ideas. We try to fix things rather than staying in the problem formulation. And I have a series of tools that I work with my clients on where it really helps them, instead of jumping to answers, helps them stay in the question and the question and reframe the question. What's a different way we can ask this so that ultimately, when they get the right question, they'll get the right solution and typically they can implement it faster and they always get higher returns. Can you talk about that a little bit more, unpack that a little, because I think it sounds like a great potential solution for people. Well, and without taking too deep a dive into it, I'm curious what that methodology looks like to ask the question differently or to take a deeper understanding about what the question is rather than going right into the problem solving side. Yeah, so and it's the basis of the, the book that's coming out in 2020. And basically, it is my methodology for staying in the question and reframing the question. And the book contains 25 lenses. I call them lenses because basically, there are different ways to look at a problem. So some of the lenses are categorized uh, around reducing abstraction. So what happens is a lot of people will ask questions that are really broad and abstract, like how can we improve productivity? How can we improve margins? How can we increase revenues? What new technologies should we use? And the problem is when you ask these big, broad, abstract questions, they invite a lot of big, broad, abstract, and irrelevant solutions. So we waste a lot of time. So there are some lenses which are designed to take those types of questions and break them down into smaller pieces and will help you do that. Uh, there are other lenses which do exactly the opposite. Sometimes we have solutions that are masquerading as questions or narrowly defined questions, and those we need to make less specific, and the lenses will help you do that. So there's 25 lenses in total broken up 
uh, into five different categories. And what I find is that when companies use these lenses, it really helps them unlock and reveal opportunities that were right in front of their nose and they just never were able to see it before. Looking forward to seeing that book come out in uh, early 2020. It's called Invisible Solutions, and we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes so that you have access to that before you uh, conclude listening to the to the episode. Um, question for you, in, um, uh, in your opinion and in your experience, is there a specific amount of time that a team should dedicate to innovation and a leader should encourage, or is innovation an ever-ongoing process within a company? I think it's probably a combination of both. Uh, I mean, the reality is you want everyone inside the organization at least thinking about innovation. Now, people, and this is an important point, every person is going to contribute to innovation in a different way. Let's not collapse innovation and creativity. They aren't the same thing. Innovation is a process. Innovation starts with the issue, problem, challenge, or opportunity and ends with the creation of value. Creativity is just a part of that step. So you want everyone always looking for opportunities for what are bigger, better, more important problems that if we could solve them would create the most value for our customers. Uh, you also want to make sure that you have people thinking about implementation. You want to have people thinking about people and engagement and how do we get people participating. So it really is everyone participating. Uh, and the, the challenge at times is organizations just don't give people the time and the bandwidth and the freedom to do what they need to do. And that's part of the, the cultural shift that companies need to make. Now let's take a brief pause from our interview with Steven and check out the unusual.com blog spotlight of the week. Want to be an innovative leader? Be like Daniel Eck, creator of Spotify, and follow this tried and true advice as it pertains to innovation. Use a passion to innovate. Even when the odds aren't in your favor, innovation can be your best friend, especially with passion as a running mate. Don't be afraid to reinvent. The starting block is not a stranger for innovation. When your current system, product, service, or opportunity isn't cutting it, don't run from starting over, erasing the board, and digging deep to find something that makes you and your team happy. Eck created a service that has 160 million active users, 8 million who pay to use it. Without a doubt, innovation played a huge part in this solid gold idea. Are you devoting yourself to something that really makes you happy? Or is it time to reinvent? For more information and details about today's unusual.com blog spotlight, click the link in the show notes. And now back to our interview with Stephen Shapiro. Stephen, I'm really interested. We, we, I want to talk to the next few questions about the perspective from a leader's side, a leadership side or a leader's perspective on, um, on the following questions. What's the biggest innovation challenge when it comes to uh, leadership that you see out there? What are we running into as leaders when it comes to innovation? So there's a really fascinating study that came out recently from Cornell University. And I'll just tell you the, the short version of it. And basically, they ask leaders, do you embrace change? Do you embrace innovation? Do you embrace creativity? And pretty much every single leader said, yes, we want it. We need it. We love it. We have to have it. We encourage our people to do it. They then used a test without getting into all the details that they did a test to actually measure what people truly believe at a subconscious level because our subconscious beliefs truly drive our behaviors. And when they did this, they found the three words that were most highly correlated with change, innovation, and creativity were agony, pain, and vomit. <laughs> so what this means is 
we as human beings aren't wired for change, even though we might say we want it. And the reason is it feels risky. So that's one of the big challenges that, that companies and individuals and leaders have is they might say they want it, they might think they want it, but at some deep level, they're afraid of it. Compound that with egos and expertise. I mean, the problem is once you think you know the answer, you're in trouble because our past experiences often don't lead to future success, they lead to future failure. And this is why I say expertise is the enemy of innovation. We need to recognize that what we knew about our industry, what we knew about our customers, what we knew about the market may not be the reality today or tomorrow. Really interesting. Interesting. So how do you create a, as a leader, create a safe space for innovation? I think the way you do that is you create a safe space for innovation. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the key is to recognize that, uh, first of all, we don't want to over glorify failure. And I know that people equate creating a safe space with saying, failure's fine. We learn when we fail. That's a ridiculous mindset. And the reason for that is, look, failure is inevitable. It's an inevitable byproduct of innovation. It is not the goal. And if you make it the goal, now all of a sudden you're doing stupid things because you are okay with failure. No, you want to become masterful at creating small scalable experiments. And that's the way you create that safe space is through small scalable experiments. And basically what that means is you give people who have solutions to problems a small amount of money. It could be $100 to create the smallest possible solution for the problem that they're working on. And then if that looks viable, we give it more money and we have to use a proper testing methodology because innovations only fail when we implement something we shouldn't have implemented. And usually the reason for that, again, is the brain, confirmation bias. If I love an idea, I'm more likely to only find evidence that supports that my idea is a great idea and I might miss all the evidence that it should be killed. And so that safe space is really about small scalable experiments and testing. Are there any specific areas within an organization that you would say would be more ripe or prepared or excited about innovation? I know there's three different categories there, but it's, it's interesting. You know, somebody might say, well, the marketing department would be more excited about innovation and the accounting department would be probably the least aware or the least were, you know, interested in getting involved. But what would you say would be specific areas within an organization prepared and ready and excited for it? I think everybody actually has some level of excitement and some level of hesitation. I do think that we've used the word innovation in so many different ways with so much ambiguity that there are antibodies inside of organizations that are trying to fight it. So I don't think there are a lot of people who are like truly excited the way they might have been a handful of years ago. Having said that, I do think everybody sees the need for change, especially, and here's the interesting thing, I don't think it's by department. I think it's the people who are closest to the problems the people who see what's really going on on a day-to-day -day basis, they're the ones who are actually most excited about change and they need to have a vehicle for be able, being able to voice uh, their, the, the opportunities that exist for the organization. So I don't think it's departmental as much as it is organizational. The people at the top, they see the need for change. They're looking at quarterly earnings or they're looking at results. The people at the front line are seeing the need for change because they're talking to the people and seeing the pain. It's the people in the middle who are most, uh, or the, the, the most adverse to innovation because for them it's about protection and it's about risk. 
taking on something new. So I don't think it's as much organizational as it is hierarchy than it is departmental. You know, when speaking of uh, ROI or metrics or, or KPI for innovation, how do you measure it within an organization that you lead? There's a, a number of different ways. You've got le leading indicators and lagging indicators. I mean, the, the famous lagging indicators is, you know, what percentage of our revenue comes from it, products and services introduced within the last period of time. And that, that's great. Unfortunately, and depending on the industry, by the time that you have the answer to those measures, it's too late. So I tend to look at things from a couple of different perspectives. One is a capability set of measures. And the capability set of measures says, do we have everything in place inside the organization to be able to create an environment of innovation? And basically, that means do we have the technology to enable collaboration? Do we have the organization in place to help perpetuate and disseminate innovation? Do we have the processes in place to help make it repeatable and predictable. Do we have all those measures? So we have these internal capability measures, and then we have uh, the process measures. And to me, the process measures are interesting because, as I said, sometimes it's like wh what percentage of new products, but I think if we look at the world through the lens of issue, problem, challenges, and opportunities, identify the most important differentiating problems that we need to solve and solve them, now we have a set of measures which are how many of our problems were solved. How much value can potentially be created by these? How much collaboration did we have in the development of the solutions? What was the cost of the implementation? So I like to take a solution-oriented view uh, of the process and the measures rather than always looking at the result, which in many cases is too far down the line. So somebody that advises innovative leaders and leaders within organizations to innovate, what do you see as a challenge for an innovative leader to inspire his or her team? Uh, oftentimes, again, I think that people tend to be hesitant to change for fear that uh, they're going to be blamed for the outcome if there's a failure involved. But is there other challenges that are involved uh, from an innovative leader's perspective? I think the biggest challenge is lack of clarity. And I really do think it's that simple. I think a lot of people, and I, I'll say there's one other thing is I do think that there's, coming back to lack of clarity, there's confusion as to what innovation means. And I think a lot of people equate innovation with creativity. People think of innovation as a right-brained creative endeavor where you sit on the ground, you smoke a joint, you look at the clouds, and you come up with some wackadoodle ideas. That is not innovation. Innovation is actually a left-brained analytical process that starts with data, identifying the right problems, and ends with implementation. So it is a left-brained analytical process. And I think that's where it tends to fall, is we tend to use this one-size-fits-all creativity mindset when, in fact, it is a process with multiple people, with multiple skills, and multiple personalities involved. Wow, really interesting again. So when it comes to celebrating innovation, uh, how do you advise a team to do that? I think that we tend to, in organizations, recognize and reward people based on uh, what's in the performance reviews. It's, it tends to be operational in nature. And we just need to make sure that we are acknowledging and recognizing and rewarding people for their contribution to the future, not just the present. Uh, it seems as though if you develop something that will help the company three years from now, uh, but it doesn't help the quarterly earnings, it, it gets penalized. And we need to shift that. Uh, and, and again, coming back to a one-size-fits-all strategy, most organizations have a one-size-fits-all strategy for performance management, for uh, recognizing and rewarding people, and for celebrating. And people want to celebrate differently. Uh, 
They want to be acknowledged for what they know. So the people who are very analytical want to be acknowledged for, celebrated for their knowledge. Whereas the creative people don't care as much about the knowledge, but care about the novelty. Did we create something that's new and different, that's pushing the boundaries? And we need to have a set, uh, not a one-size-fits-all, but a, a strategy for celebrating that fits all the different uh, styles and personalities that we have inside of an organization. For someone that's been in this space for as long as you have, where do you see innovation heading? What's, your, what's the f- future of innov- innovation? And is it an attitude of, I have to innovate with my, within my organization as a leader, or I'm going to fade away, or is it something else? Well, I think innovation, the, the, the downside of innovation, the way we've always done is we sort of think about it as separate from the business. And it's not. Innovation isn't a bunch of people wearing long white robes sitting on high mountains handing down the gospel for the future. That's not what innovation is about. Uh, So innovation needs to be integrated into the business. It needs to be part of the business. It can't be separate from the business. And I think that is part of the future. And even though we tend to look to technology uh, as, you know, this digital disruption and all of these other new tools that are coming out, as being innovation, they're, they're not innovation. They're just a means to an end. And to me, there's still, as much as things will change in the future, the fundamentals of innovation still need to remain the same, which is what is the problem we're solving? What is the value we're trying to create? And let's start there, not what's the next bright, shiny object that we should focus on. I think that is the best way for companies to get distracted, to take their eye off the ball, and to actually not become innovative. So as I mentioned earlier in the intro, Stephen has several books that are already out. He's got a book coming out in uh, early 2020 called Invisible Solutions. Uh, Why don't you share uh, just with our community a little bit about the book? And then I want to talk about this interesting program or this interesting product that you have called Personality Poker. (laughs) So tell me about Invisible Solutions first. Sure. So we, we talked about this a little bit already in terms of the questions being so important. And most people don't want to take the time to sit around and ask more questions. They, we, we have this propensity, and again, it's a survival mechanism. We have this propensity to want to take action. We want to move forward. We want to move forward in direction. The problem is we often are moving quickly in the wrong direction. And so the book is really all about why is it important to ask better questions? Why are we wired to ask terrible questions? And how do we ask better questions using the tool of my 25 lenses? And those 25 lenses each have examples and when to use and how to use to help you take a problem you're working on and look at it almost like a kaleidoscope. You look at it and you can see completely different questions. They're going to lead to completely different solutions. And then ultimately, how do you use that that mindset of better questions to drive high-performing innovation inside of an organization? Well, looking forward to uh, having the book come out and we'll get you back on the show so you can talk about it and promote it a little bit more. And uh, we'll get, I'm sure, a whole bunch of great response from, uh, from those in our community that are reading the book. Also, I want to chat for just a second about your, your uh, program or your, your product called Personality Poker and looking at a little bit more information about it online. More than 100,000 people in Fortune 500 companies in 29 countries have played personality poker. The question to be asked is, is your organization playing with a full deck? So why don't you share a little bit about personality poker? Yeah, I love personality poker. I developed this, uh, the actual version that I'm selling now over a dozen years ago, but I've had other versions earlier. And basically, and it comes back to some of the things we talked about before is you can't use a one size fits all strategy. 
people contribute to innovation in different ways. And personality poker is literally a card game, 52 cards with suits, colors, and numbers. And the, the purpose of personality poker is to help you uh, not just better understand who you are, but understand who you are not, and therefore, who do you need to partner with? So each of the suits link back to a step of the innovation process. Define the, the, define the problem, which I think is so fundamentally critical. Then generate solutions, and then plan and execute, and then engage in the hearts and minds of people. So each suit ties back to a step, and it also then gets back to your, your great, great question about, um, you know, how do we celebrate? Well, we celebrate people differently based on their personality. So it's a tool just designed to create high-performing innovation teams, making sure that you have all the right suits in the right roles uh, to maximize the way that you innovate and get the greatest returns you can. That's awesome. We'll make sure we put a, a link in the show notes for not only personality poker, but uh, for Stephen's new book, Invisible Solutions, that's coming out in, uh, in 2020. Stephen, thank you so much <clears throat> for sharing your message and your inspiration and, uh, and all of your content with our community today. I appreciate you being on the show. Hey, Doug, it was my uh, sincere pleasure. Thanks so much. Human resources community, as you're listening to this, we also invite you to click on the links in the show notes as we also have a Spanish version of this podcast. Check out unusual.net as a professional community of innovative leaders and unusual.com for the rest of our corporate services. Thanks to Stephen Shapiro for being on the show today. All, this event, all of his information, including links to Stephen's website and uh, his services and his product will be right there in the show notes. Thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening in. My name is Doug Sandler. Thanks for listening to Human with Resources, the human side of innovation. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, check out our website and important links from today's show in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you right here next time on Human with Resources. Human with Resources.